and welcome to the 1662 BCP Proper's podcast, a podcast where we discuss lectionary readings appointed for Sundays and other holy days in the Book of Common Prayer, 1662 edition. My name is Clayton Hutchins. I'm the vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Wedgworth, who is the rector of Christ Church South Bend. Stephen, how are you doing today? Yeah, good to be back with you. Uh, apologies, we had to miss last week. I was on the road doing some uh, extra work, but um, uh, glad to be back. Yes, yeah. So we missed uh, the, the 21st Sunday in Trinity, but uh, we are now uh, going to be discussing the readings for this upcoming Sunday, which is the 22nd Sunday after Trinity. So we are getting close to the end. We're in the final stages mm-hmm. here. Uh, and uh, Advent is coming. And, and we talked about how, in uh, a couple Sundays ago, in our last one, we talked about how there is even kind of some anticipation of, of, of the coming. Uh, and I think we see more of that in uh, this week's readings. But there are other themes as well that we will get into. So we'll begin here with the Collect and move forward from there. Lord, we beseech thee to keep thy household, the church, in continual godliness, that through thy protection it may be free from all adversities and devoutly given to serve thee in good works, to the glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Stephen, what do you notice about the collect? And so for this week, um, I had a number of thoughts. We're getting towards the end of Trinity season, um, and that's a season about sanctification, holy living. Uh, there's also been more and more emphasis on the church as a whole. So we see that here, uh, keep thy household the church. Uh, that's the first thing discussed. Uh, keep us, protect us, but keep us in continual godliness. Um And then a defense against adversity, so challenges, persecution, whether that be from the outside or from within with false teaching, um, and then help us to continue to be serving God in good works. So so I see an emphasis on sanctification, but uh, of a church level, the whole uh, household of God, and protect us from uh, enemies and adversities to the church. Uh, For this year, it just so happens that this Sunday is also going to fall on uh, the 5th of November. Uh, And in Anglican history, that was definitely a day they talked about adversities to the church. Um, uh, The enemies, uh, Guy Fawkes, who tried to uh, basically uh, explode Parliament and kill the king uh, in the hopes of uh, undoing the Protestant Reformation. So that day was a day in England where they celebrated God protecting them and maintaining the true church uh, and maintaining the Reformation. Um, so it is uh, it just happens to line up this year. Won't always do it, but uh, you could definitely make some of those connections. Uh, of course, we live in modern America, so most people probably don't know a lot about that history. But you could still use this as an occasion to talk about God protecting his church from enemies who would attack it and whether that be literal violence or uh, false teachers. That's good. Um, yeah, in this collect, uh, I think there's uh, the idea of being kept continually. So this idea, I think, of being sustained right through time. Uh, we beseech thee to keep thy household, the church, in continual godliness. Um, and I think that will show up again in our our uh, our gospel reading uh, but yeah those the mission to to adversities and the need for protection um, from them and uh, th- this idea of being devoutly given to serve thee in good works um, that's what we should be you know devoutly given to um, uh, good works and uh, that is 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 definitely a, a Trinity season theme. Uh, uh, by God's grace, living out of His life, uh, devoting ourselves to good works, um, uh, and we'll, we'll see that in the in the gospel and epistle, and, and and really the Old Testament lessons as well. 
Um, are there any other uh, themes or ideas we should see here, though, before we move move on? I see a few connections to some of the readings, so we'll we'll wait and talk about those. Sure. Uh, but also notice the the ending. So it starts off protecting the church, and then it ends uh, to the glory of Thy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. So um, there's that uh, final goal, the the telos of the whole thing. Why do we want mm-hmm. God to protect the church uh, for the glory of His name? And mm-hmm. He does that through Christ. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. You know, I'm, re- I'm remembering as well, though we didn't discuss it, as well, the collect from the previous week, which was grant to thy faithful people pardon and peace, that we be cleansed from mm. all our sins and serve thee with a quiet mind. And so I was like, maybe this follows on from that. So now that we've been cleansed uh, and forgiven and can serve out the quiet mind, may we be preserved in godliness and may we be protected from adversity and given to good works. So maybe you could relate yeah. the collects together, see a progression and uh, sure. in the idea and I do think I do think that they uh, intentionally interact with each other, the collects that are in proximity, um, because we're also in a season where All Saints is coming up. So that'll be uh, this Wednesday. Um, so uh, give us a quiet mind and peace, because we're yeah. maybe thinking about death. <laughs> we're thinking about yeah. what happens to all people. And now here we're asking for protection so we can continue our life even though we have danger. Yeah. Yeah. It's the season of year, yeah, where we end the church year, and we have all these saints' days, right? And then it climaxes in all saints, right? And we just give thanks to God for um, for all the saints <laughs> uh, and the whole church and God's faithfulness to his church and um, and the promises given to it and, and all the lives of faithfulness that can encourage us to follow Jesus. And yeah, so it might stick out to us, thy household, the church, in this season, that being called attention to here. Um, and... Uh, so forth. Anyway, more we could probably say, but let's transition now into looking at the epistle. So we're still moving through Paul's epistles. We finished Ephesians, which is uh, the longest one. I mean, it's the one that uh, that the lectionary has us spend the most Sundays in. So we finally finished Ephesians last week with Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, Armor of God. And now we move into Philippians. And we start with Philippians chapter 1, and it's Paul's opening prayer. So in Paul's epistles, you know, they often begin with this opening prayer. Um, and, you know, thanksgiving uh, for them, why he's thankful for them, and then a specific prayer he has, and then he'll get into the theme of this letter. And that's what uh, the um, uh, the compilers put together here. So in, in Philippians 1, Paul gives thanks for uh, for them. He tells them that he thanks God whenever he remembers them in his prayers, um, and uh, he does so with joy because of their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, uh, being confident that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Um, and he goes on from there to say, you know, he's in he's in prison. Um, but he has them in his heart um, because they are partakers of his grace or partakers with grace along with him and uh, how he longs for them with the bowels of Jesus Christ. And then his prayer there at the end, he prays that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and all judgment, right? So love and knowledge, um, that you may approve the things that are excellent that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So um, a number of themes might jump out from here, uh, but Stephen, what do you see? So I think there's definitely an eschatology emphasis here. We're talking about remembering those holy people God is, has saved, so all the saints, uh, we're remembering all the saints, the, and that is the household, uh, the church, um, and we're remembering, but we're also looking forward. And so Paul is confident that they will be completed. This work of grace that's been done in them, uh, and is, is being done in them, uh, God will be faithful to complete it. 
he who begun, has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ, the, the end. Mm -hmm. So this would be um, a proclamation of assurance. All of the saints whom God has begun a good work in, he will perform it and complete it, um, and they will indeed uh, reach their final destination. And this comes up at the end as well. You know, he's asking that they would abound and grow and be sincere and be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So uh, I'm praying that God gives you everything. He fills you up, even the fruits of righteousness, uh, and then that will be for his glory. So again, kind of the why is he doing it, the goal, his own glory. He's saving you, and he's going to bring you to completion because that brings him glory. Yeah. That's really good. And I think that um, the statement, he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it, uh, keeps uh, in mind the words, the collect, that the Lord would keep thy household, the church, in continual godliness and, and protect it, right? And grant that it would be given to good works. I think that's tracking along very much with the flow here in the epistle that, that yes. you know, God has begun something. He's going to perform it. He's going to, you know, keep it going, and He will bring it to the end, and um, and and that involves uh, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. So, um, yeah, I think that's one clear. Yeah, those fruits of righteousness. You can kind of think of that as uh, that's what we've been talking about all Trinity season. You know, holy living, how to be a Christian, um, and so many of those collects we had point out. Um, they would ask God to bring us to to the final destination, but they would use uh, a means to get there: walking in the way of Thy commandments. And we talked about some people kind of get a little nervous about that. Oh, is that worksy? But no, it's God. He works in us so that we can walk in that way. And here we now have an emphasis that he indeed will bring us to the end. He will complete that work, uh, and we will indeed have those fruits of righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and the ground and basis for that is the gospel itself, that we are partakers of grace, uh, that God began a good work. And, you know, in the, in the scheme of Philippians, what does that mean? It means, you know, Philippians 2, um, uh, Christ did not consider quality of God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself for us and and offered himself for us. And then, you know, if uh, in, in Philippians 3, Paul has abandoned all his quest of self-righteousness or righteousness through law, obedience, but has, has, you know, discounted all that as rubbish that he may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God right. that depends on faith. So at the bottom uh, is, is, the, is that grace of, of God and of Christ Jesus, um, his, his, his atoning death for us and his, um, his righteousness, you know, given to us as a gift. But then uh, he does fill us uh, with his fruits and and, and and not only that, it's, it's not just that, um, you know, faith is always accompanied by good works, but the idea here that we find is a little stronger than that, uh, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge right. and discernment. Gross. That there's actually yep. growth. Yeah. So, so not even just in a generic way, you know, those who believe in Christ and are saved, forgiven, justified, all that, uh, will also, you know, do some good things, but it'll actually be a life of, of growing in that yet more and more is what we are called to um, as Christians. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, last week, um, I was directed to a document by an Anglican theologian from the early 17th century uh, named John Boyce, B-O-Y-S, and he has meditations on all of the epistle and gospel selections throughout the year. And on this reading for uh, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, he did go on an entire discussion about justification and sanctification, the difference between imputed righteousness, and imparted righteousness. 
And so he took this occasion mm-hmm. to have a little discussion about that. Uh, and that would fit also with a Guy Fawkes Day matchup because Guy Fawkes Day was often a day for Anglicans to proclaim the glories of the Reformation. Uh, mm. Reformation Day that we talk about today, that's more of a German Lutheran thing. Uh, in the English tradition, they did Guy Fawkes Day, uh, and it was that was is close. It's, you know, it's a few days later, uh, and it was their opportunity to really uh, proclaim the Reformation. Um, and for this year, it would match with this collect. Interestingly enough, uh, historically they had their own Guy Fawkes Day liturgy. That's no longer in use uh, because it's very. Um, bound up in the politics and the history, uh, but it would still work actually with this collect because God is protecting his church. He's uh, delivering them from their adversaries, um, and that chiefly happens through uh, protecting us from sin and judgment and ensuring that we do have the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. That's so good. That's interesting. Fruits of righteousness. I, I'd be curious to check in on how he he unpacks that um, in in that twofold direction, but um, mm-hmm. I, I I think it's certainly always good to situate, you know, whenever we're given a part of a passage or like a book, you know, as a collect, we should situate it within that book, right, and relate it to sure. to, to what all that book has to say on the subject. And as we do so, we'll, you know, see more things um, than we might have otherwise seen. Um, yeah. And if you're doing a full communion service for this week, you could draw attention to the fact that so much of Philippians 2 is going to appear in the communion liturgy, uh, both in the exhortation uh, and then in the the prayer uh, of consecration itself. Both of those parts of the liturgy are essentially paraphrases of Philippians 2. So you could tie Mm. all that together in your sermon explaining that. Yeah, and I I think we called attention to this already, but just... It's an interesting time of year because it's the end of the church year. So it's not just normal Trinity season. It's like end of the church year, Trinity season. We're yep. anticipating Advent. But then you also have this interesting, you know, Guy Fox Day connection, which you just brought up. Um, and then it's also the time of year around All Saints Day, which I think several yes. of these readings mm-hmm. are kind of oriented toward that. Like last Sunday, for instance, was Ephesians 6, putting on the whole armor of God that you may stand. And then we have you know, the All Saints readings of, of, the, oh, yeah. of, of the saints in heaven as, you know, that yeah. glorified army. And, um, but here, yep. you know, emphases on, on a shared fellowship in the gospel, being a partaker with, you know, Paul, yeah. with the Philippian Christians. The whole church partakes together, right. has this fellowship, yeah. right? the communion of yeah. saints. Last week would have been the more obvious time to talk about sort of death, you know, Satan, the forces of death, principalities and powers. The gospel reading even had a man whose son was about to die. Uh, And now this week is going to be a week to really emphasize the the forensic, the legal aspect of all of that, right? Righteousness, sin, forgiveness. And forgiveness is going to be the theme of the gospel for this week. Yeah, so let's transition there. Um, So the gospel reading, St. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Uh, This is, this begins with an interchange between Peter and Jesus. Peter asks, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Uh, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of God likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And the story goes on, I'll summarize at this point, but um, a servant uh, was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, and he did not have anything to pay, and the command was given for him to be sold, and his wife, children, all that he had uh, in payment to be made. So being sold into slavery to pay a debt was a common thing back then. That was a common way people became slaves, in addition to being conquered in a war and, and things like that. Um, so, but the servant, uh, falls down and asks for grace, essentially, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Um, so not just grace, but also saying, I will pay thee all, just be patient, right? And then it says, the Lord moved with compassion, uh, looses him, uh, forgives him the debt. But then the same servant goes out and he, he finds one of his fellow servants that owes him, much less money, a hundred pence compared to 10,000 talents. 
um, just minuscule compared to that great debt that he was just forgiven. But he, uh, he, he takes this other servant by the throat and says, pay me what thou owest. And that servant falls down at his feet and beseeks him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Uh, same words that he said, um, but he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So of course, you know, that's hypocrisy uh, right there. Um, uh, and when the fellow servants see this, they report it to their Lord, and then their Lord calls them out for it. O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Um, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And then the Lord uh, was angry uh, and delivers him to the tormentors or the jailers uh, until he should pay all that was due. And it ends with that sober warning, um, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Uh, so a parable about forgiveness and the need to forgive as we have been forgiven. Uh, Stephen, what should we notice in this uh, in this parable here? And uh, what relevance might we see for this Sunday? Right. Well, um, for for the second of your questions, I think really obviously here, this is another eschatology sort of thought. Uh, this parable is bringing the judgment to mind uh, when God calls us to account. What are we going to do? How are we going to make our appeal? Um, so it's definitely a parable about eschatology in the last day. But that beginning conversation between Jesus and Peter is also very important because um, it is an echo of, of this theme, but on the individual level. How often do I have to forgive? Um, so Jesus tells the parable in some ways to illustrate and answer that question, uh, even though he does answer it just straight up by saying 70 times 7. Um, 70 times 7 isn't meant to be taken strictly literally as if, okay, you do the math, and once you hit that point, you're done. 70 times 7 is meant to say, like, all of it, as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So the parable is is bringing that out in more detail. So it's our individual relationship to other people needs to be defined by our relationship with God, and specifically the forgiveness God has given to us. Uh, that's got to define our Christian life. Yeah, it's striking that um, that the the master did give the command for him to be sold. Like, I don't think that for some reason is is something I remembered from previous encounters yeah. with this passage. But he gave the command for him to be sold, um, mm -hmm. and then um, after that, he asks for have patience, and I will pay thee all. And then it doesn't say that the master said, okay, I will have patience, but you got to pay me all, right? It just says he loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's, so a, that's a good it, point. It, yeah. It's not even a matter of him saying, okay, you'll have to pay me all. No, he just forgives him the debt entirely, it says. Right. <laughs> so I think I, I've heard this explained in terms of, oh, that guy was going about trying to pay back the debt. I don't know. I think we're reading into the motives a bit there. Um, uh, and especially because it says he forgave him the debt, like straight up. Yeah. I would say, I think and it's I mean, just more straightforward, a lack of a total disconnect between what he has experienced right. and what, and what he demands from others. Yeah. And that's a good point. Uh, I'm also thinking, uh, this idea of parables and masters and judgments is something that the Trinity season has been weaving in, um, a little bit as we go. What wasn't last Sunday, we didn't have one of those last Sunday, but two weeks ago we had a, you know, a parable about a king or a nobleman who ends up issuing judgment. So I do think Trinity season has been slowly working us, uh, towards the last judgment. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's going on by the end of it. Um, and it's more and more coming to mind here. Uh, parables yeah. of kings visiting and judging. Um, yep, that's here. Uh, so that's, right. again, an esch eschatology picture. Yeah. Um, one point um, for, for some folks, uh, this is something that's been said lots and lots. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course we all know that. But I have to remind myself that 
growing up, I'd never heard this before. So this connection is probably not out there in the total common air. Um, that idea of forgiving 70 times seven, that's a direct uh, reversal or a negation of what you see in the book of Genesis. So um, mm -hmm. Cain, after he kills his brother, he's sentenced to this life of wandering, and he's terrified that someone's going to kill him. And uh, so uh, the Lord says, well, anyone who, who does Cain wrong will be—I will avenge seven times. And then a few um, chapters later, you have—or uh, maybe one chapter later, actually, uh, Lamech, descendant of Cain, who's even more wicked, more evil. And he says, if Cain be avenged seven times, then Lamech will be avenged 70 times seven. Mm -hmm. So um, so this expression of the gospel is, is, yes, it means like a big number, like a whole lot, forgive as much as you can, but it's also showing the contrast to, um, to vengeance. Mm-hmm. So God has this yeah. vengeance, we might even call it justice, uh, which is exacting and 70 times 7. And now in Christ, he's meeting that with a mercy and a forgiveness that is just as great. Wow. That is a powerful connection to see. And it, yeah, it does, it, it takes us back to, you know, that idea of hating your brother, being angry with your brother and uh, ultimately leading to killing and striking down and taking vengeance um, as as kind of the flip side, right? Because Peter's, you know, Peter's question is simply, how how often is it that he can sin against me and I forgive? Like, is there a point where I don't, I just don't have to anymore? Um, yeah. and you think, what's behind that question, right? Like, essentially, can I just write certain people off, maybe, and just like, I don't even have to, you know, treat you well, well anymore. Actually, uh, I think that um, as we made the same point about the epistle, uh, it's worth noting, like, what's been going on in this chapter. Mm. So um, this is Matthew 18, right? Um, mm. The how often should I forgive? So go a few verses backwards into Matthew 18, and you get the passage about how to resolve disputes. Um, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So that's Matthew 18, verse 15. And then there's mm -hmm. that whole uh, process. But if he doesn't, mm -hmm. then you go get two or three witnesses. And if not, then you get the church. So um, it's, mm. it's often used as used as a template for church discipline. You know, this is how you resolve disputes, and if people don't hear you, you need to get the church involved. Um, so that's also very interesting. So, okay, I did it. I, I went. I did all the deliberation, and, I, okay, I forgave him this time. How many times do I have to do that? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can, you can imagine, right, if you did all that work, and, okay, you finally got reconciliation, and then, you know, a few weeks later, the guy does it again. He goes back mm. on his uh, word, his behavior. He reoffends. So you're like, really? I gotta, I'm gonna have to do it again a second time. I'm gonna forgive him. Um, you know, I think most of us would actually pretty much be ready to write him off even then. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least Peter was gonna give him seven. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, the need to constantly, perpetually be forgiving, even when you do have repeat kind of boneheaded offenders, folks who don't seem to be making progress, uh, their sanctification is lagging, you still need to be gracious and forgiving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's so important to see and, and, and to keep in mind. The relative debt differences is so key to keep in mind, too. Like, the the debt that you were forgiven, you know, was ten thousand talents. Like that's your sin against God. Ten thousand talents. I'm I'm looking. It's saying that um, a talent would have been, well, yeah. It says that this much money would have been the equivalent of about twenty years' wages. <laughs> mm, <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas your life savings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, the amount that he's throttling the throat of someone over. Uh, would would come out to um, 
it's it it, it it it's not a small amount in itself necessarily, but it is um, it is compared to that small. Uh, that would be about twenty weeks of of common labor. You know, so ah. so feels like a lot. You know, it feels like a lot. Yeah. This is costly. It's going to cost me if I'm really going to forgive you this. Like it's not going to feel easy. Mm-hmm. But to keep in mind, you forgiving someone else their sins against you. You know, that's that's still in comparison of sinning against God right? Um, not comparable. <laughs> yeah. So. And this is relevant to questions about uh, sort of Christianity transforming society, human relations. Obviously, we can't use this message to undo all accountability, uh, you know, say, well, we never call the cops, no one ever goes to jail, or all debts are canceled. We can't do that. But it's got to apply somehow. We have to have yeah. some application that, okay, the way we respond to people who wrong us has to be tempered by the knowledge of how God has responded to us. Right. It's got to transform us there, and we can't forget that. We can't just kind of yeah. turn around and treat them like normal, quote-unquote, uh, but we have to apply the knowledge of God's grace and mercy. Yes. I, yeah, I think that's key to see. Um, yeah, this isn't saying essentially a breakdown of society because we can't ever hold anyone accountable to anything. <laughs> that's not what he's getting at. But, you know, he does say forgiving your brother from the heart, right? There's this heart disposition of forgiveness that can look like manifold things in different contexts and situations, but your heart toward them, this is what it should be. Um, and then, you know, what that looks like as appropriate. But what we need is is justice, yes, but we also need mercy, right? From a couple Sundays ago, do justice, Micah 6, love mercy, walk mm-hmm. humbly with your God. Um, so justice and mercy b- being brought together um, yeah. is, is necessary. You, you, you could think about the epistle. We emphasized how it's telling us God is going to indeed grow us in holiness and righteousness. He's going to make sure we do make that progress. But now here we have also, but we're always going to have to be remembering forgiveness the whole way through. Always grace, always back to that foundational message of God forgiving us, mm-hmm. even as we're making progress and growing in sanctification. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, I think we can go to our first lessons for the morning and evening uh, for this coming Sunday. So we we have finished by this point going through the story of the Old Testament. We finished going through um, the minor prophets. Well, it's the major ones too that we've considered essentially. So the prophets accepting Isaiah because that's special for Advent. <laughs> um, but uh, now we're in the wisdom literature. And we talked about that at our last episode, the significance of wisdom coming at the end of the church year is kind of our response to everything. We want to live wisely, <laughs> essentially, and um, walk circumspectly in this world. Um, and so Proverbs, a fitting end, I think, to Trinity Tide and to the church year. Um, and... Proverbs actually began last Sunday, so the one we didn't do an episode on, uh, in the evening. So then it had Proverbs 1. Uh, This Sunday, we get Proverbs 2 in the morning and Proverbs 3 in the evening. So we're focusing on these opening chapters of Proverbs, which if you think of the book of Proverbs, um, Proverbs is most well known, I think, for about like chapter 10 onwards when... It's essentially each verse is its own little saying that you can just kind of pull out and put on something. Uh, Whereas the first few chapters are more like cohesive units, um, uh, longer cohesive units. It's not just discrete sayings next to each other in these opening chapters. And they're really kind of setting the tone for the whole book. And so um, uh, in chapter two, we have this... um, this urging um, of a father to a son, which is how Proverbs is told. It's 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 a father um, to a son. It's it's opened by being described as the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So there's this kingly element to it as well. Um, but of course, given to the whole people of God, all of us are called to live in light of this. But it is kind of kingly Proverbs uh, to a son uh, is is the 
uh, form in which we encounter this wisdom. And um, But in the opening chapters and here in chapter 2, there are these um, uh, exhortations giving, given to simply value and seek after wisdom. So that's a theme that we see in, in chapter 2. And um, you, you need to cry out after it, seek out after her as silver, search for her as hid treasures, and then you shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. And it describes the when wisdom enters into thine heart, uh, you'll be preserved. You'll be delivered from the evil man. Uh, you'll walk the path of uprightness. Um, and, and, and you'll not go the way of the ungodly. Um, particularly, uh, the son is urged to uh, keep away from the strange woman, um, the adulterous woman who, who seeks to, um, to, to, to carry him away uh, into adultery and unfaithfulness. Um, so that's mentioned as well. Um, and it ends with, uh, ch- chapter 2 ends with... Um, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of overview of of chapter 2 there. And a couple of things that I noticed was there at the end, um, the upright shall dwell in the land or inherit the land. Um, and that idea of um, coming into the inheritance takes me back to the epistle where we are to be filled with the fruit of righteousness uh, for the day of Christ and that kind of eschatological perspective, right, that he wants his son to have and that we should all have. Um, so that one thing I noticed, but, but, but what else do you see here? Stephen, and you can get into chapter three too if if you'd like. So, yeah, I think um, you're right to notice that idea of kind of a, a last judgment idea. Um, who's going to inherit righteousness? Who's going to be cast out, cut off? Uh, that's at the end of the chapter. And so, the way that you can be amongst those who are rewarded and deemed righteous is to have this wisdom. The wisdom is the thing which will help you get to that. A good result. Um, a bit earlier, um, it says the Lord, um, he is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints, verse 7 and 8. Hmm. So that's going to tie right into the collect, protecting, guarding, keeping the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and then verse 9 as he does that, we will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those fruits of righteousness in the collect, that which we need in order to be um, the righteous at the end of history who inherit uh, the Father's kingdom, uh, we will get all of that by wisdom. And if we seek for wisdom as if it were silver with this sincere desire, then God will give it to us. Uh, he will protect us from the dangers that would 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 keep it coming, uh, keep it from coming to us, and he'll make sure we do get it. That's good. And also the emphasis on knowledge, wisdom, and understanding being a component of Paul's prayer in the epistle yes. too, right? Um that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, and you know, criest after knowledge, lift us up thy voice for understanding. Um, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Um, and of course, in Proverbs, wisdom is associated intimately with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here, it's you know, it seems to be equated with knowledge and understanding is <laughs> to fear the Lord. Um, so. Yeah, a lot to see there. Um, And we might just introduce chapter 3 as well. So we find more exhortations to uh, following the counsel of of the father figure here. And, um, you know, verse 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the tablet of thine heart. 
so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Um, and, you know, in this chapter, he'll go on to give a number of exhortations toward wisdom, um, and it'll mention the discipline of the Lord, how we should not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor grow weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son, in whom he delighteth. Um, and, yeah, just this extolling of wisdom, um, and wisdom kind of being personified as this uh, well, in various ways, various images are brought in. Um, a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. Happy is everyone that retaineth her. Um, and then it even links it to to the Lord himself. Verse 19, the Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. So we're sharing in that wisdom <laughs> when we uh, pursue this. And, uh, y- you know, later on as, as we get further into Proverbs, um, uh, you know, we begin to speak of even relating the wisdom here described uh, perhaps to Christ as the image of God uh, and the Logos of, uh, you know, in whom all things were created. Um, but anyway, a lot we might see here. I'm not sure I can actually yes. summarize all of this because there's a lot here. But Stephen, what should we uh, perhaps see here? Yeah, no, you named uh, a lot of it, especially towards the end there. Uh, This is um, one of the more well-known chapters in Proverbs because of um, verses 5 and 6, for sure, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on on understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So I, I hear those quoted a lot. Uh, then, as the one you mentioned, despise not the Lord's discipline. He reproves him whom he loves. Um, that's going to be echoed in the epistle to the Hebrews, but uh, well known uh, for us dealing with adversity. Hmm. And uh, yeah, then uh, wisdom being a tree of life. So that makes us think of Eden. But then um, by wisdom, God founded the earth. So, oh, wisdom is actually even perhaps um, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, wisdom, uh, yeah, taking on the possibility to be a symbol of Christ. Uh, that's all coming out here, um, and it would take some unpacking and explaining yeah. to really get into the details, but yeah, it's it's starting to show up here. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't want to have worldly wisdom. We don't want to use our own understanding, but rather follow after God's own revelation. That, that's key. Um, study the scriptures learn to think his thoughts after him. Uh, But maybe even also with this unforgiving servant kind of character, um, he had reverted back to just normal, ordinary, worldly wisdom, hadn't he? Uh, I need to get my mind. I need to get what is mine. But really, he should be imitating God, uh, trusting in Mm. God's ways. The Lord's discipline may be burdensome, it might feel discouraging, but actually, no, it's love, and it's going to be for your good. Uh, right. these, these are all all themes that you could tie in here. Um, and then how do you get this wisdom, this thing we need that's going to give us life, it's, it's going to be what results in us being righteous and not wicked? You're going to have to go to Christ. We're going to have to push Mm -hmm. you to Jesus Christ, and ultimately that is uh, the source of wisdom and righteousness and life. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. A couple other connections. Um, I just think in general, as we're reading Proverbs, um, again, you know, this is what the, the response our proper response is to the great truths of God's salvation is to walk in this way and, and pursue to walk in the way of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Uh, and, but, uh, you know, that's a general statement, but I think specific to this week, we could say, okay, Philippians 1 talks about being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Um, well, I think here's a lot of what that looks like, uh, the way of wisdom and, and this way of living. Um, is is uh, part of the good works that we are to be devoutly given to in the collect um, are all being spelled out for us here in innumerable ways. But one 
thing that stuck out to me just thinking of the other readings was um, the opening charge in chapter three. Um, uh, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. That mean charge there seems to be, let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck. So again, that bringing together of mercy and truth, which goes all the way back to how the Lord himself reveals his name to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34. And he says he's, he's um, a God of abounding in mercy and truth. Um, and so that should characterize us as well. But we talked in the gospel about that need to bring them together, right? There's that need for justice and truth. Um, yes, and, but, but that just in sinful hands can lead you the way of vengeance and, uh, and unforgiveness and pride and all kinds of you know, t terrible directions. But rather we should have um, truth and mercy together, right? Justice and mercy together. And um, so I think you, you know, noticing that uh, ties it to the gospel a little bit as well, as well as seeing all of this as aspects of the fruit of righteousness. Yeah, so. absolutely. There's also a section about not fearing sudden terror. Um, the Lord will be your confidence. He will keep your foot from being caught. So that mm. ties in with the idea of God keeping and protecting his church. Uh, he's mm -hmm. going to make sure we do make it to the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't yeah. envy the violent man and try to uh, be devious and... Uh, the way of the world, so to speak, um, because God's ultimately yeah. going to curse those kinds of people. Uh, he's going to bless the righteous, the ones who follow him and, and do what is right. Yeah, one more part that's sticking out to me in light of the other readings is verse 27. I didn't know what to do with it at first, because in some ways it seems related, but not exactly matching up. But, you know, verse 27, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. So kind of right neighbor relations, especially mm -hmm. in verse 29, so it kind of broadens out to that, like just don't devise evil against your neighbor. He resides right there beside you. Like not a good idea <laughs> and just wrong, of course, but a lot of Proverbs will also be not a good idea. Like this is not the way the world works as well. Like, um, But mm -hmm. that first part, withhold not good from them to whom it is due and it's in the power of your hand to give it. Don't say coming in later and I'll give it. That takes me back again to the gospel where it's like something's due, something's owed to someone, right? And then it's demanded, but then it's forgiven, right? right. Um, so it's kind of like the flip side of that. It's like if you're on the other end of that, don't be overly, you know, demanding of it such that you're not showing any mercy. Like that's one yeah. way to take it. But well, another text even, I think... Hmm? Well, you could even think about because of what God has done for us and that we're forgiven, now forgiving others is actually what is due. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Uh, is it Romans? No, owe no one anything except mm. to love one another. Like that is go. now what we owe one another. Yes, so. absolutely. And when we say the Lord's Prayer now, that cycle is reinforced. Forgive us our trespasses or other mm -hmm. tra translations, our debts, as we forgive our debtors, or as we forgive yeah. those who trespassed against us. So, yeah, every time you say the Lord's Prayer, this theme is going to be just right back on you, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. Right now I'm thinking, am I preaching Proverbs this Sunday? Maybe I am. I don't know ah. if I've ever preached Proverbs. But, uh, yeah, it's sure. Well, and the, the use of Proverbs is a great... Um, it's a great example of how you don't have to do every single verse, you know. You could just pick a few of these out, and you're going to talk about mm -hmm. them this year, and you'll have another chance down the road, and maybe, you know, you decide to do it some this year, some a few mm -hmm. years later, but there's there's plenty of material here. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, there's you're not going to run out of ideas. Absolutely. Or you could also take, you know, 
uh, chapter two or chapter three, and then you might mention a number of, of, of connections and relevances, integrating them with the other readings. There's a number of ways you could approach it, right? Um, but uh, yeah, this is, I think, the last Sunday that it'll be kind of in larger chunks like this, because the next Proverbs reading will be Proverbs 11 and onwards, uh, which will be kind of each verse is its own, you know, distinct proverb. So th um, this Sunday and the last one, Proverbs 1 through 3, is when you might, if you're thinking of preaching on Proverbs and want a longer portion to deal with that's not kind of more isolated, you know, verses. Right. Uh, these are, yep. you know, good Sundays to, to think about, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. So, um, yeah, I would be curious to to kind of do a more study on, you know, what, what unifies Proverbs 1 through 3, um, but then there's, you know, 4 through 10 are not included, it jumps into 11. That'd be kind of neat to see the logic there, what, what was getting their attention. Yes. So I don't know the answer to that today, though. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, one thing I do know is that uh, a common theme for uh, saints' days is to have wisdom literature with it, whether it's from the Apocrypha or from Proverbs. So I think some Proverbs chapters are scattered throughout like various saints' days. So it'd be curious to see if some of those show up there uh, and which ones where, but that's beyond, beyond the purview of our current uh, <laughs> uh, abilities uh, to do yeah. since we're focusing on the Sunday readings. But no, this is good. I think there's um, a lot there. I think we have a few like major themes, things to notice throughout the readings this Sunday and 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 certainly, yeah, you have a, a number of directions you could go here, um, but also a sense of coherent unity. Um, so I hope this has been helpful to our listeners who have tuned in. Uh, I think we'll end our discussion there. So thanks for joining us. If you found this helpful, please feel free to share uh, and you know rate us on iTunes or what have you. Um, and. Uh, we are following the 1662 lectionary discussing the readings. Uh, Stephen and I use the international edition, so feel free to pick up one of those, and you can kind of join in and know what we're talking about there. Uh, we hope you'll join in next week as we continue forward toward the end of Trinity season. But until then, we thank you again for joining us, and we hope you have a good rest of your week. Thanks. God bless.